Without the love of God, we are meaningless collections of existence. That's really all we are without Him. Without love, the teacher becomes a superior and all the students are inferior. Without love, the mechanic is just another part of the machinery of life with no real connections. Without love, the shopkeeper becomes just a greedy merchant who cares not at all for the deprived patrons, but just for himself. Love prompts us to celebrate another's birthdays as a landmark, to appreciate the smiles and the concerns for our health when people inquire. Love reminds us that we are made in the image of our Creator simply because He loves us. And looking upon an image of perfection blesses Him. Genuine love comes to us revealed as empathy when we are hurting and helpless and hopeless. And it picks us up and gives us strength. All these things are the love that changes us. Genuine love reaches out to the needy that we do not know. And in caring for them, we build a relationship that will last forever. For we're saved in this hope. We're given a reason for living in this hope. And because of that, love comes to us and changes us forevermore and always. The love of God is what makes us who we are. And until we understand that love, nothing else really matters. I've heard it said that in life you don't accumulate a lot. You begin to collect things. You get to midlife and you start giving them away. And, of course, here in Selma, we do something a little different. We have estate sales. That means you scatter it all out again, give it away, and then bring it back again. Just the way it works in life. There are only a few things you can take with you into eternity. You can take the good works that you labor for and that you give to Christ in love, and you can take another person with you. And that's so important. That we have that kind of love that reaches out beyond what is, is normal and natural for this world. Because remember, the natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And that's why without Christ, that love is never known. We hope for what we do not see and we eager, eagerly await its presence. We understand something about that. There's a reason why I believe Paul ended this by talking to the the Corinthians, of people who had a problem. In fact, really, they had several problems. They had misused the idea of love. They had a meal after church called a love feast, but yet they divided it from the richer to the poor. How much love is that? I remember many years ago listening to a, an evangelist in, in London, and he was telling about going to a house, attempting to, uh, to retrieve a gift that was made by the family there. They had given a piano. Uh, to the church. And they got to the house and there was this beautiful grand piano sitting in the main parlor there. And, and Jill Briscoe looked up and she says, oh Stuart, look what they've given to the church. Isn't it gorgeous? This is going to be great. Oh, I know exactly where we can put it. And the lady says, no ma'am, that's the one I just bought. The one I'm giving to the church is on the back porch. And Jill Briscoe in her wisdom looked at her and she said, but don't you want to give your Savior the best? She said for about five seconds that lady trembled and then she realized I was just picking at her. You know what's amazing? Sometimes we do that. We don't give our best to the Lord, yet he gives his best to us. 
When God sent his son, he sent the best. He did not send an emissary. He did not send an ambassador. He did not send someone to give a a pre-planned demonstration. No. He sent his son. And his son took on the likeness of mankind. And he came in the flesh. And he lived like us to show that he loved us. But to also demonstrate that God loved us so much, He did not want us to remain in the earth from whence we came. Our earthen bodies only hold the most precious gift we can ever have, a human soul. And because of that, we matter. In the text we've just read, we're saved by hope. And that blessed hope is special. It transcends sight and science. Hope and faith are closely related to each other, but love... You take love away from faith and hope, and both are meaningless. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith has an unseen dimension to it, just like hope. Faith, like hope, has the expectation of what is unseen will become visible reality. But in 1 Corinthians 13, we learn that the visible reality of faith and hope is love. It is love. It not only surrounds the two, and encapsulates them, but it makes them palatable, possessive, and real in such a powerful way. You see, faith provides the grounds of our hope, which is in Jesus Christ alone. One of my favorite philosophers was a young Danish man by the name of Soren Kierkegaard, and I would say that much of what he said was so sound and true, and he said one thing that always disturbed me. He said, faith is a leap in the dark. I never liked the idea of that because I didn't like to leap in the dark. I grew up with a twin brother that loved to dare me to do things. And more than once, I jumped off a limb in our pecan tree in the backyard, and that leap in the dark did not end well. But I believe in all my heart that faith is more than that. Faith has content. It has substance. It's real. We do not deny reality and and make a desperate leap into an abyss. No, I mean, we know our Savior is there. We can trust Him. The text in Hebrews tells us that faith is a substance. And the substance is yielded in love in a mighty way. You know, the the Greek word for substance there is, is hypostasis. And the reality is it means foundation or ground. And that foundation is what holds us up. It's it's not a doubt. It's not a wonder. It's not a, a, a speculation whatsoever. It's real. And on that foundation of love and faith, we are built. It says the Word became flesh in John chapter 1. You see, the Jews were unusual people. They had gotten used to over a thousand years of following a leader that they could see with their eyes. They asked for that leader. As, as, as Gina so, so carefully explained to our children, that first leader was Saul. and He's one of the most flawed leaders you could ever have as a king. He became jealous of his own son-in-law. Hated him to the point that he wanted to kill him. Yet David loved Saul. If we don't have that foundation of faith and love, we will end up in a place that we never planned on going. And it is so frightening when that happens. 
Christianity is built on these three strong characters spoken of in the end of 1 Corinthians 13. And as we've gone through this series of looking at love and what true love really is, I want you to understand that when these characters are mentioned, it is significant because faith, hope, and love are so important. Without them, Christianity is bogus and even absurd to many people. Because Christianity offers to us Number one, a knowledge of our Creator. Number two, of a way to get back to our Creator. Number three, of a way to live with our Creator forever. And I remind you of this. The very moment we're born, we're dying. The cells in your body are dying even now. I've been reminded very often, preacher, that's true. People die constantly. And sometimes when we're watching the clock on a Sunday morning and we're thinking about lunch after church, we're dying of hunger. That's a different kind of dying. You'll get out on time today. The reality is this. There is no way Christianity will make any responsible sense without the foundation of these strong characters, faith, hope, and love. But what Paul wants to say is faith and hope alone without love are painful and brutal and unkind. Love has to be the foundation of both of them. In this passage, Paul responds to the Corinthians over emphasis of certain spiritual gifts. They were caught up with the sign gifts because it made them look good. He told them something they did not know, that those sign gifts would one day pass away. Or he said, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. And, and, and the word perfect there, as I've told you before, is in the, in, in the neuter gender. It's not talking about a person because Jesus had already come and ascended back to the Father. It's talking about the one perfect thing that we have in this world, the complete Word of God. And it's telling us that when the Word of God is here completely, you won't need the sign gifts to know what is true and what is right. You won't have to wonder or speculate on the nature of God for from Genesis to Revelation. You were given an understanding of what that is. This is so powerful and so important for us to understand. And the reality is the sign gifts had been abused by the church in Corinth and can be abused by anyone because through the nature of love, you don't want to draw attention to yourself. Not at all. You want the spotlight to be on the one that you're loving, that you're giving to, for that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did not dress in regal robes. He did not appear... To trumpets playing, he walked in very simply and very quietly. And he made a difference that lasted forever. Just like he walks into your life. Sometimes in the stillness of a Sunday school classroom, a child will sit there and suddenly the reality of who God is and who his son Jesus will be in their life comes to fruition. They understand that they're a sinner. And their only way of being saved is the gift from Jesus Christ. And it all becomes real. That happened to me in the third grade, and I've never been the same since. Jesus has a quiet way of walking into our lives and making a difference. The Apostle Paul here insists that love is greater even than the two other bedrock virtues, and he's absolutely right. What is the true reason for that? We have to be reminded of the importance of love in our life. You know, we can get caught up with what we do sometimes and we can feel that life is just a sense of duty. 
I'd, I had the opportunity of, of, of attending New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and receiving a degree from there. I love that school, and, and we have some folks here that were part of that school. I remember so well, Chuck Kelly not only was a student with me at New Orleans when I started, but he was president when I left. And I always loved Chuck Kelly, especially his wife, Rhonda. Chuck Kelly used to have a little poem he would recite to us when he would talk about doing church work, and it went something like this. Because his concern was we would just wear people out in the church. We would, we would get caught up in the duty of church and forget about the spirit of love that's in the middle of that. He said, Mary had a little lamb. It wanted to grow up and be a sheep. One day it joined a Baptist church and died from lack of sleep. That is so true. You can wear yourself out serving the Lord. I've got a saying that I always tell people when they come to the church and begin to serve. And it's this. If you come to church any given Sunday and you feel like you've worked and not worshipped, something is wrong. Worship comes first. Service is natural. We want to serve, but don't let that service become a, a, a dreary gathering and a frustration. Because it's so easy for Satan to pull love out of the midst of that, and we lose our sense of what we're doing, and then we give up. We don't want to do that. There's a saying that goes something like this, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. That's beautiful and sweet, and it's refreshing to hear, to think about, but the reality is, without the virtue of God's genuine love, that's impossible. Forgiveness has to come from a heart of love. It has to. Forgiving somebody, we have to do that because God did not create us to carry around frustration, anxiety, and anger. We can't do that. We're just not built that way. In fact, many years ago, the great psychiatrist and surgeon Carl Menninger said that he believed that better than two-thirds of the people he had dealt with in his psychiatric hospital who had debilitating illness had it because they carried guilt anger and bitterness upon them for a long period of time. We can't do that. Forgiveness is, is not just about releasing the person from that. Oh no, I mean, if, if a wrong is done one day, the true judge will judge. But what you're doing is you're freeing yourself to go on and to love and to care. And it is possible to love somebody that's hurt you deeply. Loving your brothers and sisters in Christ will help you to live a gracious and faithful life. Nothing should come between us. And the body of Christ can be great and mighty, but it's useless without that love. We've got to have that. To reciprocate this kind of love, you must continue to let love lead you day to day. It has to become a part of all that you're doing. You know, we're told that if you bring a gift to the altar to sacrifice and you had something going on between you and another brother, it said, leave the gift and go. And uh, I'll never forget a young boy telling me one time when I taught 12-year-old boys at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church, I said, why do you suppose they said to leave the gift? He said, well, a fight might break out and you tear it up. Maybe that's true. Hopefully, when you go to make forgiveness, you settle it and you leave loving one another and not in anger. A, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has to have that kind of attitude. Paul's bottom line in this chapter is that, of course, faith and hope are great. But without love, they will not work, nor will they last. 
Now, does this suggest that faith and hope are less important of value? No, not at all. Combine these together and you have exactly the nature of what we should be. Without them, we're in trouble. Faith and hope without love become selfish investment. And faith mixed with love lets us see a Savior. And hope lets us hold on to that forever through all the storms of life. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite stories about one of my favorite people. And this definitely dates me. Uh, sometimes I listen to music and I'll think, well, I've never heard that before. And I, my son very often will say to me, well, Dad, you had not heard a lot of music. You quit listening to music in 1973, which is about true. But the reality is I, I live in the past because sometimes things were better in the past. I grew up listening to Red Skelton. I love the fact that he had genuine humor and he didn't have to be vulgar. I grew up listening every day, every day to Paul Harvey because he reminded me that to be an American, you had to be a faithful Christian. And he reminded me not to look at the darkness too much because it would begin to look back at you. And how I forget, how I remember that and I don't need to forget what he said. But I want to remind you of the story of another man I grew up with, Jack Benny, who was supposed to be one of the stingiest men alive. Jack Benny was an amazing person, though. He, he was so gifted in so many ways. Jack Benny met a young lady when they were in their teens. And he was so shy, he didn't want to go up and speak to her. He was, he was just absolutely terrified. They said that, that he, all, he had that, that shyness all of his life. And Mary was beautiful, and he wanted to meet her, but... He did the one thing that boys back then could do if they could scrape together a dollar and a quarter. He went to the florist and he bought a long stem rose and he gave it to her. He didn't know what to say, but he gave her that rose. And she said, why did you give me that? She said, this is beautiful. I've never had one of these before. And he said, well, I didn't know exactly what to say, but I brought this because it's almost as beautiful as you are. It is said that when, when Mary received that rose, everything changed. And suddenly, Mary Livingston had a heart that opened up to Jack Benny. They followed each other through life, 47 years of marriage. And guess what? He not only gave her a rose the first time he met her, he gave her a rose every day after that. She received a rose the morning they married. She received a rose when they were on their honeymoon each day. And for 47 years, she got a rose every day. Now, last, you know what happened. I was around, I remember it well, on December the 26th, 1974, Jack Benny died. And a part of American history died with him because he was a remarkable man. And the day he died, a rose arrived at the house. Mary Livingston had a, a, a vase that was gigantic on an entry foyer table. It was a crystal vase, and she would put a rose in and pull one out, the one that was beginning to, to die. And they said sometimes she had four to six dozen in there at a time. When that rose came, she cried, and she thought, it's over with. It's ended. But the next day, she received another rose. And the day of his funeral, she received a rose. And the day after. Well, she went to the florist, and she told them, she said, my husband passed away, 
And I know y'all have done that for a long, long time, but I have to let you know that you need to stop. The man that owned the store, who was quite elderly, walked around the corner and took her hand and said, Mary, you don't understand. Your husband set up a trust. You will receive a rose once a day for the rest of your life. For one reason. Because he loved you. Because he loved you. Mary Livingston lived nine years. She received 3,216 roses. And then she stepped in heaven and she discovered what love is really about. Dear people, that's what we need to know. What love really is. Does love mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. Does, Does love mean that everything we do is just what we wanted to do? No, we all fall short. But love means that we follow after a Savior that sent His best. And every single day of your life, you received that gift of love from Him. And unlike the rose, it never dies. Let us pray. Father, I thank You that You give us so great a love. You perpetuate that love in our life through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we're here. We understand that that love makes us who and what we are. But Father, I pray that we in our hearts can change. It's not just enough for us to appreciate and enjoy that love. It's beyond that. We need to share that love with others. We are not only the recipients of that love and the benefactors of that love, but we also are the ones who share that love with the world. For we are given the opportunity of sharing our faith and our life and our growth with those that we encounter. God, I pray that you speak to someone this morning that needs to embrace that kind of love. and They've not felt it before because they've not experienced sins forgiven. They've not been saved. Today is the day for them to encounter that and to enjoy that and to understand that. And Father, if there's someone here this morning that that needs to come forward and join this church or be baptized, someone needs to just come and pray. There are brothers and sisters in Christ here that would love to sit beside you and pray with you and allow you to come closer to him to experience that beautiful love. Now, Father, speak to someone this morning, someone that's looking for hope and help, someone that wants to embrace that kind of love. And may this be the day that they encounter that and they will be changed forever. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.